You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In connection with our text this afternoon, which will be concerning the law of the Lord, I would invite you to turn in the Old Testament to Psalm 119. We'll read the verses 17 through 24 as the psalmist extols the virtues of God's law and of living according to it. Do good to your servant, and I will live. I will obey your word. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I'm a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. You rebuke the arrogant who are cursed and who stray from your commands. Remove from me scorn and contempt, for I keep your statutes. Though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. And if you would, turn to the New Testament, Galatians 3, beginning at verse 10. Here we also read about the law of the Lord, but this is a decidedly different tone. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it's written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is a law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come through the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. 
There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abram's seed and heirs according to the promise. Our text this afternoon is Lord's Day 34, the first two question and answers. What is the law of the Lord? God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your manservant or maidservant or your cattle or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant or his ox or his ass or anything that is your neighbor's. How are these commandments divided? Into two parts, the first teaches us how to live in relation to God, the second, what duties we owe our neighbor. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, question 92 in the Catechism, which we're looking at this afternoon, asks the question, what is the law of the Lord? What is the law of the Lord? And that's a good question, and then it proceeds to give us the answer, the law is the Ten Commandments. And that's true. But the word law of the Lord can refer to other things or broader things as well. In fact, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, were known as the law, the Torah, the law, the five books of Moses, the five books of the law. And the word law itself can also can refer to the Ten Commandments. It can refer to the first five books of the Bible. It can refer to other commandments. It can refer to even teaching or instruction. God's teaching is His law. On the other side, there are other words that can be used to refer to God's law. You, you read about them in Psalm 119. The statutes of God, the ordinances of God, the decrees of God and many other words. When something is a big part of your life, an important part, there are many ways usually to describe that thing. I've heard it said, I didn't look it up, I've heard it said that Inuit people have seven different words for snow. Perhaps people in B.C. have ten different words for rain. I don't know. People who study geology have all kinds of different words for what we would call a rock. God's law is very important in his revelation to us. He reveals many facets of his law. 
And as God's people, His law is very important to us, and we speak of it in many different ways. God's law is His Ten Commandments. There's also ceremonial aspects of the law, the, the sacrifices that needed to be done, uh, the, the cleansing and, and work of the priests and of the people as they would go to the temple to be made clean was part of the law. Also, there were civil aspects of the law, especially the the book of Deuteronomy teaches how God's people are to be ruled, what sort of king they're to have, how that king is to govern. It's common to distinguish between the ceremonial aspects of the law, the civil aspects of the law, and then also the moral aspects of the law, those aspects of the law which, which we are to walk in, that our hearts are to follow. But if you want to narrow it down, The Ten Commandments sits at the center. You could say that all other aspects of God's law are simply descriptions of or further working out of the Ten Commandments. They really do stand at the center. They are what God wrote down with His own finger on the tablets of stone for God's people. Today, we will examine God's Ten Commandments in the context of His whole law, and we'll do that in the context of His whole revelation, from when the law was given through the Old Testament to the time of Christ and beyond for what it means to our lives today. And in all of that, in Old and New Testament, we find that in fact God gave His law in His grace. The law is given, was always given to His people by God in His grace. God in His grace gives His law to His people. We'll see first that the law anticipates Christ. The law was given in grace to anticipate the work of Jesus Christ. And secondly, we'll consider the law in Christ. Now that Christ has come, what does the law mean? What is the law? So we've considered what the law is in its many different aspects. We also need to consider God's law in our own experience and in our own thinking. And we need to be upfront about this because the very idea of putting law and grace in the same sentence is for some people appalling. They just don't fit together. How could law and grace belong together? The law, they say, is a cruel totalitarian overlord who's always telling people what they do wrong and what they can't do. And as soon as we can get out from under its grasp, the better. The law is abolished, they would say. Christ has come. The law is abolished. And good riddance to that relic of the Old Testament and the dark days of the history of God's people. We sang Psalm 78. Those were dark days. And it was God's law that was testifying against His people. And some have this well articulated. They can, they can bring all kinds of passages from Scripture to show how bad the law is. But for others of us, it's just a feeling that we have. You hear the law every Sunday morning and you have this feeling of dread, of burden, of weightiness. Is this given in grace? How do you hold those two things together? And there's something to this. 
Just think of what God's Word says. Paul in Romans 5 says the law was added so that trespass sins might increase. He says in Romans 7, once I was alive apart from the law, but then the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. Or we just read from Galatians 3. Before this faith came, faith in Christ, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So how is it that we can hold the law and grace together? How are these things compatible? And how can we make sense of of what God's Word says on the one hand in Psalm 119 and these verses that I just read to you? Well, in the first place, we can consider God's law and His grace together because it was precisely in the context of His grace that He gave His law to His people. It was in His grace that He gave His law when God gave the Ten Commandments to His people and He gave the further revelation about the Ten Commandments. It was on the basis and in the context of His redemption of Israel. And it was for their blessing. It was in the context of redemption. God had already chosen Israel as His own, saved them, and then given them His law. Just think about the prologue to the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God did not give His law to put His people into slavery and bondage. He had already delivered them from slavery and bondage. Then He gave them His law to live by. It was on the basis of His grace, in the context of redemption, that He gave His law. And that means, therefore, that God's law was never meant to be legalistic in the sense that we often use the word legalistic, that by obeying God's law, then you can earn or merit acceptance from God. That God somehow gave His law so that the person who lived perfectly by it could earn His acceptance. No, God had already accepted Israel. He had already chosen them, redeemed them, and then He gave them His law. The law was given in the context of God's covenant. God's covenant, His relationship with His people, which was sovereignly and unilaterally applied. God said, I will be your people. Not because of anything that you've done, but because of my grace. I will be your God. You will be my people. And as your people, as my people, I give you my law. You can't understand God's law apart from His relationship with the people of Israel, apart from His grace, apart from His covenant. So God, in His grace, gave the law to His people, which is especially now encapsulated in the Ten Commandments. God had not only gave it in the context of redemption, however, He also gave the law to His people for their blessing. He gave it to them for good. Just consider what He says after He gives the law to the the people in Deuteronomy. He says, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land you are crossing over the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord 
as long as you live, by keeping all His decrees and commands that I give you, so that you may enjoy a long life. Keeping God's law was a way to blessing and peace with God. And of course, this comes out most clearly and and perhaps memorably for you in Psalm 119. Verse 1 says, Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Verse 18, which we read, Open open my eyes so that I may see the wonderful things of your law. Verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it day and night. Truly, the psalmist there understood the relationship between God's grace and His law. There were for the psalmist then, and still today, rich blessings for those who walk according to the commandments of God. But things weren't always so rosy with God's law, especially with regard to God's people and God's law. Yes, it was given in grace. Yes, it promised blessings for those who delighted in it. But there were also curses for those who did not follow it. Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. Cursed is the man who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. In fact, from God's word, we discover that God himself required perfect obedience of his law. God didn't give his law so that we could pick and choose which ones we'd obey, which ones we wouldn't. No, God gave his law so that it would be obeyed. Paul quotes, quoting Deuteronomy 27 in Galatians 3, says, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by everything written in the book of the law and live by them. We also learn from several places in God's word that nobody keeps God's law perfectly. Romans 1 through 3 gives this argument. And it's summed up at the end of Romans 3, where Paul says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under law, that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world held accountable to God. Everyone is sinners. And he goes on, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. The law not only demanded perfect obedience, It also reveals sin. It makes you conscious of sin. Paul says he wouldn't have even known what sin was if the commandment hadn't come and revealed it to him. The law exposes sin for what it is. In light of the law, we realize the depth and the breadth of sinfulness. And we can also see that God demanded perfect obedience for His law, uh, for His law, in the sacrificial system that was instituted as part of God's law. It was part and parcel of God's law. Even as God gave the law, He acknowledged that no one was going to be able to do it perfectly. That everyone was going to sin. And so He gave the sacrifices along with the law so that the Israelites could go and could make atonement for their sins. That they could give a lamb or a goat or a bull as a substitution for what the law demanded of them their whole life. Perfect obedience. The law exposed sin. 
Sin had to be punished. And therefore, every Israelite, even the psalmist of Psalm 119, had to go and offer sacrifices to atone for their sins. God in His grace, you see, God in His grace put into His law a call to to recognize sin, to repent, and to seek atonement and deliverance. And so God's grace was present when He gave the law. It was present in, in the desire of the law. And it was even present within the law itself as He gave those sacrifices. And yet, it was exactly this grace of the Lord which the people of Israel rejected. When they rejected God, and they compromised on His law. Remember that the law was God's demand in the context of His covenant. And just as the result of obedience was blessing, so the result of disobedience was curse. And as the history of God's people progresses through the Old Testament, that curse of God looms larger and larger and larger. The prophets. Have you ever read the book of Jeremiah? It's a lot of judgment. Isaiah, judgment. The prophets speak to this impending judgment of God's people continually. And they hold up God's law as a testimony against the sinfulness of the people of God. As the Old Testament rolls on, the despair grows. It climaxes in the destruction of the temple, that place where sacrifices were to be given, where atonement was to be made, where God lived with His people was destroyed. God's people were exiled from the land. Injustice and lawlessness grew. And there was a crying and growing need for the restoration of God's justice. For that curse that was over them which they could not escape to be removed. For the law to be satisfied. And for God's law to be held up and honored in the lives of His people. As the lights go out on the Old Testament, there's a crying need for a Savior, for a Messiah, a Christ, who will finally put an end to all the futility that God's people suffered under the law. And in the fullness of time, at just the right time, according to God's plan, that Christ did come into the world. He came and He lived according to all of God's commands. He lived in all righteousness. He came teaching God's law. He taught the radical demands of God's law and requirements. He came promoting the most important aspects of God's law. Love for God. Love for your neighbor. As He taught the Pharisees, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He came in keeping with the promise that had come before the law. And He came as the end, the goal, the purpose of the law Himself. As Jesus Himself said, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The Lord Jesus Christ came for God's people and He fulfilled the law. That curse which hung over God's people which hung over, which hangs over all who do not atone for their sins. He fulfilled through His death. 
through His atoning death. All those sacrifices of the Old Testament, all that shedding of blood, it cried out for the end of it. That that curse of disobedience could be removed. And Jesus did this with His death. He was the ultimate sacrifice. He suffered the burden of God's wrath against sin. He suffered the burden of our disobedience against God's law. He did did so for the saints, for all the saints of the Old Testament who faithfully offered sacrifices, who lived by faith in the God who justifies, the God who atones. And He also did so for us. For all who recognize their sin in the light of God's law and who look to Christ as the atonement that God demands. Who look to Christ as their sacrifice. Jesus Christ suffered the curse of the law. And so, brothers and sisters, when we are in Christ, God's law is fulfilled for us as well. There's no need for any sacrifices. In fact, we can't sacrifice because Christ has sacrificed Himself. There's no more curse on us for failing to obey God's law. There's no more guilt that the law hangs over you. There's no more burden. Freedom. Freedom. That's what we gain through the death of Jesus Christ. Freedom from that slavery that the sin would hold over, uh, that the law would hold over us in our need to obey it. Do this, I can't. Do this, I failed. Do this or die, the law says to us. Jesus Christ has died for you. Not only has He freed you from the curse of the law, He's also freed you by fulfilling the obedience required in the law. Jesus Christ accomplished that perfect obedience that God demanded in His law. God's law said, do this, I can't. Do this, I've failed a hundred times. Do this, and you will live. Christ has done it for me. And so in Christ, you are made alive. In Christ's death, you're made alive. Alive to God. Alive to God's will. Alive to God's law. In union with Christ, God's law is fulfilled for you. But in union with Christ, the Holy Spirit enables you, empowers you to walk in obedience to God. To live according to His commands. In Christ, the law no longer holds, hangs over us as a tool of judgment and curse. But it becomes for us a tool of thankfulness and praise to God. We can obey God because Christ has redeemed us. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. And love, Paul says, is the fulfillment of the law. The Ten Commandments are summed up in love. Love the Lord. Love your neighbor. In Christ, the ultimate purpose of the law is rectified. God in His grace gave His law so that His people might walk in thankfulness before Him. While through the Spirit of Christ... By obeying God's commands, 
We can walk before Him. We are empowered to obey God. A small beginning in this life, but a beginning nonetheless of obedience, thankfulness, and glory to God. Before ending, we need to return to one thing. And that is to ask the question, okay, if the law is good for us, by the power of the Spirit to walk in accordance with it, why in the New Testament is Paul so fiercely railing against the law time and time again? Why does he say such negative things about the law? Well, it's precisely because of Jesus Christ. Paul is urging God's people and he urges us not to be under the law, but to be under Christ. The Jews had, for the most part, rejected Jesus Christ. And so they remained under the law. They remained under the obedience required by the law. And they remained under the sacrifices required by the law. Except for one thing. That the sacrifices had ended with Jesus Christ. There was no more sacrifice for sins. Jesus Christ was a sacrifice for sins. And so the burden of perfect obedience lived with them. And for all those who are apart from Jesus Christ... That burden of perfect obedience remains with them. It was the same for the Judaizers, those Christians who said that you needed to obey the law as well as have faith in Jesus Christ. They were in fact rejecting the totality of Christ's atonement, that He had done everything for salvation, and the sufficiency of His obedience to the law. They didn't realize that the law was always provisional. It was always anticipating Jesus Christ. They weren't only mistaken about Jesus Christ, you see. They were mistaken about the very law that they claimed to love. They didn't realize that it was pointing them to the Messiah, the one who would pay the curse, the one who would die on their behalf. Galatians 3. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in place to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. Remaining under the law is to reject Christ. Everything changed with Him. And so you can understand those strong words that Paul has from the law. Apart from Christ, the law is tyranny. Apart from Christ, that curse hangs over you. Apart from Christ, the perfect obedience required by the law is completely on my shoulders. If I'm not under Christ, but under the law, then I'll experience the tyranny of the law in my life. Being feeling, feeling burdened by the weight of the law. Feeling the testimony of the law against my sins. Experiencing the punishments that the law holds out for those who don't obey. But brothers and sisters, by faith in Jesus Christ, we are not under the law. We are in Christ. We are in Him who has fulfilled the law. You're in Christ by faith. You're united to Christ and so the righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled. You're set free. The law has no curse for you. It has only blessings through the great work of the Son of God. 
And God has given you His Spirit to write the law on your heart. And He's given you the power to make a small beginning of the obedience that God requires. The obedience that comes from faith and results in praise and glory to God in heaven. So God's law for us. In it, we see the need for Jesus Christ. In it, we glory in the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And in it, we see the rule. We see what we can do now in thankfulness and obedience to God the Father. Because of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.